Good evening, it's Dr. Dan Guerra on this Authentic Biochemistry podcast. Today is 10 December 2023, a Sunday evening. And we're going to be doing um, our biomedical portrait number seven as usual, because that's where we are right now. And that's on the lipoprotein lipase, and we're talking about chapter four. Quick recap. We know that hypertriglyceridemia is a causal risk factor for dyslipidemia and associated type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, and then it can be linked to solid organs such as liver and heart muscle and skeletal muscle fatty deposition which can then lead to cardiovascular disease and even some forms of cancer. And we know this because postprandial hypertag, so that particular consequence leads to directly coronary artery disease, insulin resistance, and as I said, type 2 diabetes. Patients with CAD plus T2D have an impaired clearance of B48, that's ApoB48, the apolipoprotein containing chylomicron. So there's the linkage, right? Impaired clearance then of tag rich lipoproteins, which will occur then by the liver, will of course result in the accumulation of remnants of those triacylglycerol-rich lipoproteins. And that will lead to non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and possibly non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, and then a direct route um, through multiple complications, of course, hepatocellular carcinoma in maybe between 7 and 10% of the people who get that far along in the pathology. So it's a, it's a strong correlation, and it's a very vital thing to unravel in terms of the pathobiochemistry, because if that's possible, um, potential pharmacotherapeutic targets could be uh, obtained. Right now, there are really none, uh, unless you're talking about a liver transplant, which is in pharmacology at surgery. So <clears throat> let's go into some of the detail of lipoprotein lipase transport. Now remember lipoprotein lipase is the enzyme which can facilitate the removal of fatty acid from tag-rich chylomicrons, thus removing the triacylglycerol from circulation. Okay? So that's what's significant about this because when you have high activity of LPL, you're clearing those chylomicrons, chylomicron remnants, and also BLDL. Does that mean that you're no longer in a pathobiochemical state? Not necessarily. High levels of fatty acid uptake, which are associated ectopically in the tissues I just described, liver, heart, for example, can be quite pathogenic, as we know. Okay, leading, for example, to atheromas and um cardiovascular disease, amongst many of the other potential outcomes. So it's not at all a remedy. 
Now, let's talk about lipoprotein lipase. It's generated as a native polypeptide in the endoplasmic reticulum. So it's going to be a glycosylation pattern associated with it using dalecopyrophosphate. Now, this will occur in parenchymal cells such as adipocytes, myocytes. This is after triacylglycerol accumulation or triacylglycerol synthesis because of either accumulation of fatty acid in those tissues or de novo synthesis of triacylglycerol, which can also occur in adipocytes for sure, and in myocytes as well, just simply by um, the Kennedy pathway synthesis of triacylglycerol from fatty acyl-CoAs and glycerol phosphate backbone. Okay. Now, let's talk about the maturation of the lipoprotein lipase now. When it's in adipocytes and myocytes, that protein, the LPL, can be chaperoned. Now, I should go back one step. It was first demonstrated to be a head-to-tail homodimer of LPL, but we also get monomeric forms of it. Not too sure about the homodimer integrity. Those are earlier papers, but it could be the fact that homodimer formed during isolation instead of the protein. But if it does occur, we don't know any specific case in point where that regulates LPL activity post uh, synthesis in the ER um, on ribosomes associated with the reticulum. But when LPL is synthesized, it can be chaperoned then by a couple of other proteins. One of them is called lipase maturation factor one. That's LMF1. And the other is cell one, which is has another name besides the acronym. It's the suppressor of LIN12-like one. When those two chaperones associate with lipoprotein lipase synthesized de novo, translation-wise, the LPL can then be secreted through the trans-Golgi network. When that occurs, LPL will bind to heparin sulfate proteoglycan, and it will be stabilized there in the extracellular matrix in what is now an interstitial space. It can also be associated simply with that glycocalyx on endothelial cells and back on parenchymal cells. After that, the LPL will form a complex with the glycosylphosphatidylinositol-anchored high-density lipoprotein binding protein 1. That's GP. IHBP1, for those of you who like acronyms. And when that occurs, bound to that uh, GPI anchor, that complex will be shuttled to the capillary lumen of those endothelial cells. Now, once that occurs, and the endothelial cells and the chylomicron is now within the capillary, in the capillary lumen. Chylomicron has been taken up within the capillary lumen, right? Of course. It's being translocated. It's in, 
It's in transport. It's in circulation. What occurs then, once you've got this LPL now, no longer bound to GPI, but now within the endothelial cell, in association with circulating chylomicron, or even VLDL, triacylglycerol-rich lipoprotein, right? Well, apolipoprotein C2, which is associated with the chylomicron, and also with the VLDL, is actually essential for lipoprotein lipase enzymatic activity. The hydrolysis thrasyglycerol to generate free fatty acid. Now, when that occurs, that free fatty acid can move back out of the endothelial cell through the interstitial space bound to protein, and then end up back in the adipocyte myocyte. Or it can be linked ectopically for the resynthesis of triacylglycerol. Okay. So this is just the bulk movement of free fatty acid we're talking about at this point. Free fatty acid bound to protein, of course, right? But after LPL activity, which requires APOC2. Now, it's at this point that the ANGPTL, remember that's the angiopoietin-like protein, the ANGPTL isoform 4, which would be associated with the chylomicron or can be, that's where that protein can trigger the unfolding of the lipoprotein lipase. And particularly the domain, the LPL, which is the hydrolase domain, the enzymatic domain. That, when that occurs, when ANGPTL4 is associated with LPL on the surface of the chylomicron, and the, and the LPL is active because of APOC2, that hydrolytic uh, domain within the LPL will irreversibly collapse because of the interaction with ANGPTL4. And it will lose LPL activity and it cannot be regained. It's irreversible. Now, <clears throat> all the other ANGPTL proteins have differential activity effect on LPL. So, ANGPTL3 dimerized, well, excuse me, trimerized actually with one isoform of ANGPTL8 will block activity of the lipoprotein lipase when that's associated in brown adipose tissue, which is very rare or much more rare than white adipose tissue in humans, adult humans. There's more brown adipose tissue in younger people. And there's a great deal of brown adipose tissue in the murine rodent models, as you know. Okay. Now, here's an interesting thing. Depending on fasting versus well-fed or postprandial, during fasting in white adipose tissue, that ANGPTL4 will function as a powerful inhibitor of LPL activity, as I just described to you, unfolding the hydrolase activity irreversibly. However, 
in wide adipose tissue postprandial or simply in the well-fed state, such as in the obesogenic state. The ANGPTL4 activity as an inhibitor of lipoprotein lipase will itself be blocked by ANGPTL isoform 8. So, the inhibition of LPL in white adipose tissue via ANGPTL8 will therefore reduce LPL activity. No, excuse me, it will enhance LPL activity by reducing the inhibitory activity of ANGPTL4. Let me say this again. When well-fed state, white adipose tissue in humans, this would be like an obesogenic mode, those two proteins, those two angioproteins, ANGPTL4 will dimerize, heterodimerize, with ANGPTL8. When that occurs, the inhibition of the lipoprotein lipase is removed, okay? So you will enhance, when, a, when isoform 8 of the angiopoietin-like protein dimerizes with the angioprotein uh, 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 type 4, okay? That will then de-inhibit the lipase activity and lipoprotein lipase will function. That's in the obesogenic state. That means you're going to have more fatty acid hydrolysis coming off the calomicron. And that fatty acid then can re-enter, say, a myocyte, cardiomyocyte, for example, ectopically, thus generating a pathobiochemical state, ectopic lipid deposition, because of enhanced lipoprotein lipase activity. So that means that ANGPTL8 is a negative marker for pathology, meaning pathology is enhanced. It's not a good marker, it's a bad marker, because it specifically inhibits the inhibition of the lipase activity, otherwise controlled by isoform 4. Okay? Again, of that ANGPTL protein. It's the angiopoietin-like protein. You have all these multiple isoforms doing different things. Differential regulation of lipoprotein lipase. Okay? Now, let's go back to this paper. 32 obese and 27 lean adolescents. This is the Chemica paper now. From Leon, Mexico. The participants were male and female between the ages of 15 and 19. Remember, they had Tanner scores of four and five, which means that they were at the end of puberty. Okay? So, remember that puberty, here's why this is important, is a time of rapid and complex alteration of overlapping hormonal, developmental, including physiological and cognitive regulation. So the Tanner staging used to be called the sexual maturity rating or the SMR. 
and it's considered an objective classification. And what it does is track the development and sequence of secondary sex characteristics during puberty. And that's actually a pretty good indicator of enhancement of muscle mass and also what else is going on, which would directly rate to, uh, regulate the consideration of the body mass index. The post or, or end of puberty adolescents are also getting taller. So their BMI is going to drop, right? Because they're taller give, with a given weight. Unless the weight, the mass, exceeds the increase in height. Because remember, BMI is the ratio of, of those two physiological measurements, right? Mass and height. So you understand how this works. Now, remember that skeletal muscle isn't really considered here, right? But it is, in a way, rolled into these tanner oh, configurations. <coughs> All right. Now, the physical changes in puberty will involve not just height <coughs> or skeletal muscle mass increase or secondary sex characteristics for that matter. What's going on hormonally is the activation of the HPG axis. That's the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. This is going to involve the production of testosterone in the male and estradiol in the female. So there's going to be a change in metabolism in the ovaries for the females and for testes in the males. Okay. And that's going to be associated with a series of hormonal shifts. GnRH will trigger actually the de-inhibition of the HPG, HPG axis. Okay, gonadotropin releasing hormone. <clears throat> now, when that occurs, you get a pulsatile release of luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone. And there, those two, LH and FSH, will act on specific gonadal cells. What will, what will those two hormones do? They'll stimulate and release either androgens or estrogens. And they'll be also directly associated with gametogenesis, all of which is energy-consuming. Now, this is going on at the same time with some of these adolescents becoming obese. So because these are all lipid hormonal regulation, which is ultimately controlled at the CNS axes, including the HPG, but also remember the whole role that adiponectin and leptin play in the CNS and the hypothalamus associated with the orexigenic and anorexigenic stimuli coming from postprandial feeding, and that was when we talked about the CCK8, and, we were, and also ghrelin, octanil ghrelin, and the other hormones relate, related to the filling of the stomach, the emptying of the stomach, and the passage of lipid through the small intestine as synthesis of chylomicrons is getting finished because of the production of apolipoprotein 48, and the partial digestion of the dietary proteins leading to the transfer RNA, iso-accepting transfer RNAs, generating that polypeptide de novo, right? 
or from translocation of apolipoprotein 100 from the liver to the small intestine and breaking that down to the smaller 48, apolipoprotein 48. Both things can occur. Okay? So digestion plays a major role here. At the same time, you're getting all this hormonal stimuli and regulation thereof, which is going to become corrupted in the obese state. All right? Because, again, you're talking about estrogen production in the ovaries, and you're talking about testosterone production in, for example, the Sertoli cells, and specifically in the seminiferous tubules of the testes. All of this is going to be altered in the obese, obese, uh, obese state, obesogenic state. Okay? It's going to lead to alterations in estrogen and testosterone production because of that. Now, the adrenal glands also are playing a role here because what are the adrenal glands involved in? Secondary sex characteristics. Okay? So that's production of pubic and axillary hair, for example. Okay? And that's all part of the maturation process. And that's all rolled into that tanner stage that we talked about. So when we have obese patients here in this study, they are frankly obese because of BMI making all the corrections associated with the change in hormonal influence during late stages of pubertal development. So how was the study done? They took venous blood, and they took it not postprandially. So we've been talking a lot about postprandial in terms of regulation of chylomic. Now, why is that? Because we already know what's going to be happening postprandially. You know you're going to be having a huge burst of chylomicron in circulation because of dietary lipid digestion. So they want to do it 12 hours after pass, uh, fasting, excuse me, 12 hours after feeding, so that the role that digestion itself plays in the production, the massive production, of circulating chylomicrons, and therefore subsequent chylomicron remnants, and even VLDL, nation VLDL, will have gotten into a homeostasis. So they took that serum from uh, 12 hours after fasting of the obese and non-obese male and female between the ages of 14 and 19 in this study. Okay. Going through that whole range of the tanner where they chose people that were all in four or five, right? So basically their puberty was about finished. They measured all the different proteins via ELISA. They looked at insulin. They looked, of course, at apolipoprotein B. They looked at leptin, uh, adiponectin, the angioproteins that we talked about, all with different ELISAs. Right? They also looked at the pro-inflammatory and leukin-6. Right? So you're, you're aware now these are all done with enzyme-linked immunosorbent acids, protein acids. So there's no transcriptome being generated here in this study. We're not looking at the transcriptome. So there's no transcriptome being generated for the study analysis, analyses, the analytes. They're only looking at protein at the level of antibody binding to the protein. Presumably those antibodies are going to be the mature proteins. Right? Now, the problem with that, by the way, you understand, when I went through that detail about those 
ANGPTL proteins. Remember, they're functioning because of their location near the endothelial cell chylomicron linkage and because of the dimerization, trimerization of those proteins, those inhibitor proteins. So you're not going to be picking up those proteins unless the ELISA would allow for uh, those aggregates to be isolated on the gel, and then you would need native gels. Now, I didn't read anywhere in this paper they use native gels. So you're not looking at aggregates of those inhibitor proteins, those angiopoietin proteins, okay? So you're looking at monomers. So you're losing all that detail I just went through. Now, the detail I just went through came from a 2023 paper about all that sophisticated uh, angiopoietin protein interaction. So you can give these people some credit in this earlier paper, this 2020 chemo, uh, uh, chemica paper, clinica chemica paper, because maybe that those results weren't already out there in the literature, although I have looked and they were out there. But nevertheless, they didn't look at the complexity of that system. But overall, this is what they said they found. And it's a great deal of good work. They say in the fasting state, when ANGPTL3 is associated with the liver, that very little inhibition of lipoprotein lipase 3 is found in the heart muscle. But when they did the same, okay, so that's in the fasted state. When they did the same measurements, though, in the fed state, okay? So remember I told you about the whole postprandial. I said they were doing everything in the fasted state. That's baseline, you see? Baseline, very little inhibition of lipoprotein lipase. Now they were doing all this on the level of A3. Remember, A3 is a potent inhibitor of the angiopoietins. It's the most potent because it can work as a monomer. So there was plenty, plenty of lipoprotein lipase activity uh, at the heart, the skeletal muscle, and at the adipose. But at the adipose, you had the added ANGPTL4. And so you do have an inhibition of lipoprotein lipase, even in the fasted state in these patients. Now, in the fed state, you have that A3A8 complex, remember? That means lipoprotein lipase activity is going to be inhibited at the heart muscle, at the skeletal muscle, but it's not going to be inhibited at the adipose tissue because you have A4, A8 binding. So A4 find an adipose, expressed in adipose, <laughs> will bind up all the A8. Because of that, you will not get, you will, you will block then okay, you will block the inhibition of lipoprotein lipase. So the adipose can take up fatty acid because of this unique feature of A3, okay? So that's a critical feature to consider. Now, all this data here 
is not from the paper in Chemica Acta. This is the result of the 2023 paper. That's why you hear all about A3, A4, A8. Okay? So, what do they measure then? Is The next question is going to be, what do they measure in the Chemica paper? And I'm going to leave that for next time because I want to make sure we cover that really carefully. So I gave you what goes on when you add in all the different AGPTL proteins at the three different tissues, right? the heart, the liver, and the, and the adipose. So we're going to go back to a paper that was published a few years earlier, and we're going to ask the question, just looking at the individual discrete A and GPT proteins, right? Those angiopoietin proteins. And answering that question from the ELISA assays, the raw data, and find out what they discover in the obese versus the lean male and female late-stage pubertal adolescents. Okay? And that's where that's going to be all postprandial after 12 hours. Okay? So now you got the whole picture. Hopefully I didn't confuse you. Um, I, I was trying to read off of um, graphical de descriptions, so I didn't have anything written out. I was just reading off of it. But the data, I think, is pretty clear. That uh, A8 will block A3's inhibitory effects. But A4, unique to adipose, will block A8's inhibition of A3. Okay? <laughs> All right, Dr. Daniel Guerra. Uh, authentic Biochemistry, 10 December 2023. Goodbye for now.